Chapter thirteen of the Vicar of Wakefield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tyke Hines. The Vicar of Wakefield by Oliver Goldsmith. Chapter thirteen. Mr. Burchill is found to be an enemy, for he has the confidence to give disagreeable advice. Our family had now made several attempts to be fine, but some unforeseen disaster demolished each as soon as projected. I endeavoured to take the advantage of every disappointment, to improve their good sense in proportion as they were frustrated in ambition. "'You see, my children,' cried I, "'how little is to be got by attempts to impose upon the world in coping with our betters. Such as are poor and will associate with none but the rich are hated by those they avoid, and despised by those they follow.' unequal combinations are always disadvantageous to the weaker side the rich having the pleasure and the poor the inconveniences that result from them but come dick my boy and repeat the fable you are reading to-day for the good of the company once upon a time cried the child a giant and a dwarf were friends and kept together they made a bargain that they would never forsake each other but go seek adventures the first battle they fought was with two saracens and the dwarf who was very courageous dealt one of the champions a most angry blow it did the saracen but very little injury who lifting up his sword fairly struck off the poor dwarf's arm he was now in a woeful plight but the giant coming to his assistance in a short time left the two saracens dead on the plain and the dwarf cut off the dead man's head out of spite then they travelled on to another adventure this was against three bloody-minded satyrs who were carrying away a damsel in distress the dwarf was not quite so fierce now as before but for all that struck the first blow which was returned by another that knocked out his eye but the giant was soon up with them and had they not fled would certainly have killed them every one they were all very joyful for this victory and the damsel who was relieved fell in love with the giant and married him they now travelled far, and farther than I can tell, till they met with a company of robbers. The giant for the first time was foremost now, but the dwarf was not far behind. The battle was stout and long, wherever the giant came all fell before him, but the dwarf had liked to have been killed more than once. At last the victory declared for the two adventurers, but the dwarf lost his leg. The dwarf was now without an arm, a leg, and an eye while the giant was without a single wound. Upon which he cried out to his little companion, My little hero, this is glorious sport. Let us get one more victory, and then we shall have honour for ever. No, cries the dwarf, who was by this time grown wiser. No, I declare off. I'll fight no more, for I find that in every battle you get all the honour and rewards, but all the blows fall upon me. I was going to moralise this fable, when our attention was called off to a warm dispute between my wife and Mr. Burchell upon my daughter's intended expedition to town. My wife very strenuously insisted upon the advantages that would result from it. Mr. Burchell, on the contrary, dissuaded her with great ardour, and I stood neuter. His present dissuasion seemed but the second part of those which were received with so ill a grace in the morning the dispute grew high while poor deborah instead of reasoning stronger talked louder and at last was obliged to take shelter from a defeat in clamour the conclusion of her harangue however was highly displeasing to us all she knew she said of some who had their own secret reasons for what they advised but for her part she wished such to stay away from her house for the future 
"'Madam,' cried Burchell, with looks of great composure, which tended to inflame her the more, "'as for the secret reasons, you are right. I have secret reasons, which I forbear to mention, because you are not able to answer those of which I make no secret. But I find my visits here are become troublesome. I'll take my leave, therefore, now, and perhaps come once more to make a final farewell when I am quitting the country.' Thus saying, he took up his hat, nor could the attempts of Sophia, whose looks seemed to upbraid his precipitancy, prevent his going. When gone, we all regarded each other for some minutes with confusion. My wife, who knew herself to be the cause, strove to hide her concern with a forced smile, and with an air of assurance, which I was willing to reprove. "'How, woman!' I cried to her, is it thus we treat strangers? Is it thus we return their kindness? Be assured, my dear, that these were the harshest words, and to me the most unpleasing that ever escaped your lips. Why would he provoke me then? replied she. But I know the motives of his advice perfectly well. He would prevent my girls from going to town, that he may have the pleasure of my youngest daughter's company here at home. But whatever happens, she shall choose better company than such low-lived fellows as he. "'Low-lived, my dear, do you call him?' cried I. "'It is very possible we mistake this man's character, for he seems upon some occasions the most finished gentleman I ever knew. Tell me, Sophia, my girl, has he ever given you any secret instances of his attachment?' "'His conversation with me, sir,' replied my daughter, "'has ever been sensible, modest, and pleasing. As to aught else, no, never.' once indeed i remember to have heard him say he never knew a woman who could find merit in a man that seemed poor such my dear cried i is the common cant of all the unfortunate or idle but i hope you have been taught to judge properly of such men and that it would be even madness to expect happiness from one who has been so very bad an economist of his own your mother and i have now better prospects for you the next winter which you will probably spend in town will give you opportunities of making a more prudent choice what sophia's reflections were upon this occasion i can't pretend to determine but i was not displeased at the bottom that we were rid of a guest from whom i had much to fear our breach of hospitality went to my conscience a little but i quickly silenced that monitor by two or three specious reasons which served to satisfy and reconcile me to myself the pain which conscience gives the man who has already done wrong is soon got over conscience is a coward and those faults it has not strength enough to prevent it seldom has justice enough to accuse End of chapter thirteen